Hello, Henrietta. How are you? Hi, Jason. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galina. And uh, we have a guest this week, uh, Henrietta, that we're very excited about. Very, very, very. <laughs> and, um, and for this episode, our guest is Ruba Abunima. And Ruba is the creative director and beauty executive at Revlon. And she is joining us this morning in our continued conversation about image making uh, surrounding the industry of fashion. Hello, Ruba. How are Hi, you? Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. And thank you for your time in joining us this morning. Thank you for inviting me. Hi, Ruba. <laughs> Hi, Henrietta. How are you? I am. I'm okay. I'm, I don't know how many days. I've now been uh, at home, but it's a lot of days. I've stopped, I stopped counting after about, I think, 50. Then I was like, there's no point in counting at this point. I saw an but, Instagram um, where I'm day 80, and I was like, whoa. It sounds about right, actually. It sounds about right. I mean, there's some good parts to that, and there are some more challenging parts. But I, I do think that it's, uh, it's forced us to address a lot of things that we would never, never have even thought about had this not happened. So it's been a very interesting experiment, to say the least. Absolutely. Um, and I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. I think that you are very expertly placed to have this conversation. Why don't we kick off before we dive into the topic at hand? Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience for those who might not be familiar with your work or who you are and what you do, just to give us some context? Well. I mean, I've been in the industry for, for quite a long time, I would say over 30 years and at the risk of aging myself, but I just did. Um, I've been in fashion and beauty for most of that time, beauty for quite a number of years recently, from uh, Bobby Brown at Estee Lauder, then to Shiseido in Tokyo for a couple of years. I helped initially helped Pat McGrath uh, launch her line right at the very, very beginning and now I'm at Revlon, working my way through uh, a repositioning of that very iconic brand. By trade, I'm a graphic designer. I still consider myself very much a graphic designer. I design to this day. I, I remain incredibly tactile in everything that, that I do because uh, I think it's the only way. You've got to keep honing your skill, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that it's very important. I, so my title is Creative Director. I rarely say those two words, to be quite honest with you, because they kind of feel really dirty right now. <laughs> what, like a consultant? <laughs> like consultant or, or marketing. I don't know. Those two words put together, I see them used a lot, not necessarily in their most honest form. So I try to stay away from that. And, and quite honestly, as growing up as a kid, I wanted to be a graphic designer. That's all I ever wanted to be. And I'm very passionate about that. I'm passionate about the way things come together, right? The way uh, letters come together, the way a picture relates to a letter, the way two pictures relate to each other. So to me, I still think very much from a graphic design point of view in, in pretty much everything that I do. Um, 
I love that. And I think that's really interesting to frame this conversation because actually uh, Jason said this last week, which I thought was really interesting, which is we talk about fashion or beauty as these like sweeping statements to describe the industry. But he's actually started being very specific and saying things like garment makers, dressmakers, accessories designers. I think that being specific in this age is very apt. So your experience as an image maker, graphic designer is really nicely framing this conversation. And we particularly wanted to jump off on this sort of Warhillian point with Ruba here, as as we know her to be quite um, astute in the world of Warhol. So we thought that this was a great starting point for this image-making conversation. And Warhol said that art is what you can get away with. And in this, well, not just COVID time, but in this social media time where images, the integrity of images, I would say, are under question, I think this is a great juncture to have this kind of conversation. And so, Ruba, if we're to accept this statement, what does this say about photography and image making in this digital age? Um. Okay, so let's start with a little bit of controversy, shall we? Let's. Let's. So, actually, I do not believe that Warhol said that. Uh, I think that's a quote from Marshall McLuhan, the Canadian philosopher, uh, who was uh, obviously actually very... uh, Warhol was very influenced by him. So it is possible that Warhol may have taken that and kind of repeated it. But the original quote is from Marshall McLuhan, who I don't know if you know who he is. He's kind of, he's, he's such a complex philosopher that as many times as I've tried to read his, his theories, even I struggle with really understanding them clearly. Uh, you know, he's the one who coined the, you know, the expression, the medium is the message, which I'm sure yeah. we've all heard. We've all heard that. So the, his philosophy is actually incredibly apt for, for the discussion that we're having right now. And the other thing is COVID uh, has allowed me, given me permission to read the new uh, Warhol biography by um, Blake Gobnick, which is a thousand pages long. Yes, Um, (laughs) I have that. I have that. I've started it about (laughs) 10 times. (laughs) It is. It's really good. It's really good. I mean, I'm a long, I'm an unashamed Warhol fan. Unashamed. I know that a lot of people find that too, you know, that's a little too obvious and it's a little too easy and it's not elitist enough, but I personally do not care. I was just going to say something else, but I don't know if this is, if children are listening. I don't care. <laughs> say what you mean and mean what you're saying. That's the motto. I don't, I don't give a fuck. Warhol is, has influenced me in my career. I think his career, what he's done in the art world and how he transformed fashion and beauty and fine art and even the way we look at art and even the way we create art. I, I, I think that, you know, there was Manet who made a humongous change in the way that art was perceived. And he's really one of the godfathers of modern art. And then fast forward, a lot of artists, a lot of brilliant artists, then you've got Warhol. I, I'm going to get killed for saying this because there's a huge, there's a couple of hundred years between the two. But to me, those two are really, really, really important people in the way that I perceive art or the way that I understand art. So going back to your question, sorry, you're going to say something because I can just ramble. No, I was going to say, so are we then to, are we then to know that the the two most important artists for the last two centuries are Manet and Warhol? 
for, no, for you, Bruce. I, for me, for me, for me personally. For you, for you. For me, because they're renegades and they broke the rules and they didn't give a shit about the rules. And Manet did not give a shit about the rules. Manet was punk as fuck. And if you read the history of Manet and you look at how he approached art, I mean, there was a lot of other artists at the same time doing that, but he really is the godfather of the modern art movie. Marcel Duchamp, who was hugely important in modern art as well, but Manet was really the one who who started it, the, the artists of the Salon de Refusé in Paris who were not accepted in the establishment were like, you know what, screw it, we're just going to go do our own thing. We're going to do our own salon. And they changed the history of art forever to this day. So yes, in my opinion, those two artists, they're incredibly important in the way I approach my work and the way that I perceive. And, you know, art, the way you look at art, the way you perceive art, the way you understand art is incredibly subjective. So you have to take everything that I'm saying from a very subjective point of view. But that really is the way you approach your work in fashion and beauty. It is through the lens of art. So across your career, whether it's creative director at Elle to your position at Revlon, one of the things that if you Google you, which I don't know how often you do, but I did this morning, there's this quote that keeps coming up about how you make an $8 lipstick look like an art piece or something that should be hung in an art museum. And so I'm interested to that point about Warhol and the ideology behind his work, your work, what you're trying to achieve in this industry. Where do you see that going? What is the place for conceptual messaging, beautiful, produced, thoughtful artwork, content, image making? Where do you see that going in a post-COVID age? Because it seems like what's actually performing really well and what's really attainable to most people and most brands is really lo-fi content, TikToks, selfies, piece together content from found imagery. I'm not sure what the appetite is going to be for this type of image making that we're talking about. Um, I think actually there's room for both, to be quite honest. You know, in the way that, look, when the digital world became more important than the printed world, people didn't stop making paper. When, when electricity was invented, people didn't stop making candles. Just Candles were no longer an essential. They were no longer critical. They were a nice to have. I pretty much, I bet that between the three of us, we all have candles in our house today. We all have some yeah. form of candle. Um, so one thing doesn't negate the other is what I'm trying to say. The printed page, the page that is produced, the highly produced page is not going to go away. It's just going to be different. And it has been for a number of years. Why is it that magazines that are newsy magazines or magazines that are more disposable are dying and moving to the digital world, whereas publishers like Steidl, who I absolutely revere, are thriving? So I think that it's different levels, right? It's different levels of information. Your art book, your book that is highly produced, beautifully produced, perfectly produced, it's still going to happen. It's just going to be, it's not for the masses. It's not mass consumption. It's not for everyone. It's very specific and it's very targeted. Well, Ruba, in regards to the mass consumption, I think one of the, the interesting things about your identity is that you're really at that intersection of art and commerce, essentially. And so understanding, now that, let's say, images have been cheapened in this age, we're trying to get an understanding of 
are the brands that are communicating to a mass audience or to consuming audience, will they still find the budget? Will they still find the value uh, to give someone like yourself the license to go out there and create images that's going to reflect back on the brand? Is that space still there? Is that respect still there for that image-making process? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is, but I think it's different levels of information. Like me, in my, if I'm talking about my job specifically, my job and my, what my job entails or what my job will continue to entail is to take our product, let's say it's a lipstick, and to make that lipstick look the most aspirational, the most exciting, the most desirable lipstick that you would want to purchase. But while at the same time, I have to take that lipstick and make it digestible for a different medium, for a TikTok, for example, or an Instagram, for example, or a Facebook, for example. The way it's the same product, but it's messaged differently. And it will be messaged differently using different mediums. So yes, I still think there is room for the high end, for the well-produced, for the, for the beautifully made, as well as the bigger consumption and the more disposable. Like, listen, we all love to go to a fancy restaurant, right? Every now and then we'll go to a fancy restaurant, the fanciest we can afford and have a lovely meal. But that doesn't negate that every now and then you're really craving a burger. But I guess that's very true. But I guess what I'm trying to reconcile and get a good understanding of how you see it is that one of the things that you said that was really spot on is this idea of nice to haves, this idea that beautiful images or conceptual images or anything that has any of that ideology and that weights behind it, context and what's derivative and history are nice to haves, which is generally my experience when it comes to the importance of powerful, strong images. But for the most part, it really comes down to the brass tacks of the bottom line. How do you reconcile that, particularly in a post-COVID landscape? Because I feel like the metrics that business leaders are using is so counter to that. They're looking at data, they're looking at stringent marketing KPIs, they're looking at all of these other things that are really counter to what you're saying. And if we're in a era where a really low produced selfie or a TikTok video is performing just as well, if not better, and it's what's possible right now and it's cheap. So you're not paying thousands of dollars for a studio, tens of thousands of dollars for a photographer, et cetera. Where is that place for any level of that ideology in the mainstream digital realm specifically, given that that's where we work? I think I think there's like I think there's room for both. However, I'm going to give you an example and, and this is a bit of a timely example. So COVID happened, right? Uh, None of us expected it to happen. From a business perspective, nobody expected it to happen. We all got sent home from one day to the next. And all of a sudden, we were forced to rethink what our brand messaging was Mm -hmm. from from that perspective, right? uh, All the data and all the the things that were planned and all that. And by the way, I'm going to say something super controversial that's going to get me into trouble. But I don't care about data and KPIs and all that stuff. I don't even understand it. I don't care. And it doesn't mean it, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I actually don't, I actually think that it holds companies back. And I've seen it actually that sort of thing fail time and time and time and time and time again. And when you look at companies like, I know it's an obvious stereotype, you look at companies like Apple and someone like Steve Jobs, who again, did not give a shit and just did what he thought was right out of instinct. He, I mean, the rest, it's history, right? So I actually think that 
there are people out there who have the instinct, who have the knowledge, who have their fingers on the culture, who have their noses in the air and understand what's going on and can feel it. And I think that that to me is more powerful than all the data and all the testing and all the focus grouping in the world. I went to a focus group recently. I almost lost my mind. And I almost, I mean, I had to leave because it was, it just drove me mad because it's rigged. It's, it's not a science in any, in any way. And it actually ruins creativity. It 100% ruins creativity. Now, having said that, sorry, in a very long-winded way, so we were forced to change our message at Revlon. And there was this whole debate and back and forth and meetings and conversations of what do we do with it, hand-wringing. And, and it was really funny to me because they're all looking at it from a data perspective. They're all looking at it from a very kind of high-level corporate perspective. And I made a suggestion to them and I said, look, why don't we just really take this from a human perspective uh, and from a very kind of visceral perspective? from a messaging perspective, why don't we have a campaign that says, you don't have to wear makeup, but it helps. Because that's what I would tell my friend. That's what I would tell my sister. That's what I would tell my neighbor. It's very human and it's very simple. It's a simple message. And they were like, okay, that's fine, but we need to do this fast because you know the message has to go out fast. So what I did I, with one other person on the, on the social team, very young, very creative girl, we took our existing content and that mm-hmm. content was very high-end content. Like it was filmed by Mario Sorrenti and photography by Raymond Meyer. So we're talking about the highest end work, you know, the highest quality work we could produce. And we sliced it and we diced it and we edited it and we chopped it. And we created an endless amount of content that we then reserved up on our social platform that was hugely successful. Huge, one of the most successful things that we've done on social to date. And it was, there was no focus grouping, there was no testing, there was no KPI, and it was zero production cost because the quality of the work that we had to work with was so good, we could reuse it. Well, Ruba, let me propose this to you. You were able to do that, or at least from what you illustrated, because you had the highest talent, Raymond Mayer and Sorrenti working on that project. So you have the level of artistic photography that you're used to working with. Would you now have been able to achieve the same sort of success with an initiative like that if you had said, if we had gone the, the selfie route, even having photographers taking selfie of themselves at home or something that with lower production value, more lo-fi and so forth. Do you think you would have been able to achieve the same sort of impact without that level of no. art? And I just want to make it clear. We didn't create anything new. We took existing content from our servers and our archives and we just reconfigured them to retrofit into this idea. So we didn't create anything new. There was no new content created. New content was created by taking existing content and repurposing it. And I do not think that we would have been able to do that and do it successfully if we did not have high quality content. So here's the catcher, because actually that's become more prevalent where it's, you know, remixing old content and digging back into the archive and licensing has become a really big deal right now, being able to sort of take out license to use 
old imagery, particularly of legacy brands really digging into archives and past campaigns. So this is a really good interim solution. But as we move forward and we're thinking about image making and content creation, what does that look like when the budgets aren't necessarily the same and actually looking at how repurposed content or uh, lo-fi content or UGC content performs really well. And it's also attuned to the temperatures of the times. I and mean, let's admit, people are worried about income. A lot of companies are worried about the bottom line. How does that attitude work when you're actually not working with really great content and really big names in image making, when you're actually using selfies, TikToks, lo-fi content? Do you think you can apply that same logic? You don't want high-end, slick content on a platform like TikTok. You, your, your content has to be native, right? <laughs> so I know for a fact that well, a brand like the one I work for and other brands, because I, I have friends in other brands, I have friends who work at high-end you know, jewelry brands, that's not going away. They're, everybody is sitting there waiting. When can we go back into the studio? When can we go back to shoot? Those things are not going away. What's going to happen is that the money is going to be distributed differently. You're going to put a little bit for TikTok, a little bit for Instagram, a little bit for uh, social media influencers, for want of a better word, a little bit for this. So you'll, you'll produce less high-end content, but in no way is that high-end content going to be canceled. No way. In the same example that I just made, your magazines, your, your kind of disposable magazines and newspapers and stuff are all switching to digital. And 20 years from now, I just don't think we're going to have a lot of the magazines that are on newsstands today. What you will have is the better produced, the higher produced, the higher quality stuff, the stuff that you want to keep, the stuff that you want to mm -hmm. have inside your house. It's the same philosophy. It's the same parallel for, from that. I just don't think it's going to go away. I mean, you know, Mario is a very good friend of mine. Uh, I've worked with him for, for many years. He's working every single day and he's not low grade or cheap. So, and he has been working every day and will continue to work every day. So that's an indicator of that specifically, that image creation on that level, not going away. That's such an interesting perspective because I think with everything we're reading and a lot of people are experiencing, there seems to be this really dystopian view of the future of image making because it's largely propped up on a lot of things that are in demise right now from low demand in sales to redistributed advertising budgets. So in a way, this perspective, it's making me feel quite hopeful because that was really not at all what I was thinking at all going into this conversation. I almost had the complete opposite view. This perspective that feels not even optimistic because you're saying it with a level of confidence and, pragmat <laughs> and pragmatism. You're kind of like, this is what it is and this needs to stay. And, you know, I've been working in the sort of D to C startup culture where creative is not as revered as it is in more legacy brands and the mentality is completely different. So I think that's also skewing my vantage point. I think, well, yeah, from where you're coming from, I completely see why you're saying what you're saying. I do think, and don't forget that I'm also coming from a, a, the beauty industry. I'm re referencing the beauty industry here. And I do think that beauty requires, in order to produce an image that is aspirational on a beauty level, you need a certain level of quality, of light, of makeup artists, of styling. You, you know what it is to go into onto a shoot, how many people are on that shoot, how many yeah. people it requires. You know, it takes a village, as they say. 
that you can't do it any other way. There's no way of doing it any other way. All those girls on YouTube and on Instagram, they serve a purpose, which is peer-to-peer, right? It's much easier and there's a level of peer-to-peer information that gives other people confidence. But that's not aspirational. That's peer-to-peer. That's functional on many, many, many levels. But Ruba, one may differ to say that's not aspirational. One would, one may say that the lifestyle that say influencers who are dispensing tips from their Instagram feed are in fact uh, representative of an aspirational lifestyle. It's just the target has really just shifted. I mean, that may be the case. I'm the last person on earth that you should ask about influencers. Anybody who knows me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not a fan. <laughs> I'll never forget that tweet that you put out. If you have influencer in your bio, you're probably not. That really did crack me up. Well, Ruba, I want to switch gears a little bit here. And I want to talk about stylistically speaking. And I, in, reading, in reading about you and your interest in like the 90s magazines and so forth, I started thinking, could this period be representative of a new flock of photographers like it did back in the 90s with the advent of the Craig McDeans and the Nick Knights and the Jurgen Tellers and the Stephen Kleins from the faces and the ideas of the world where photography was more lo-fi, more relatable in many ways, more representative of real life. And I, with respect to your working in the beauty space and we understand the kind of slick demands of that space, but still yet, could you speak stylistically to maybe this um, being a shift in style of the time to, to well, sort of I mean, respond if you were to, to the You're talking about like magazines like ID Magazine specifically? Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm more speaking about the photography talent, you know, where, as to where their work appears. Obviously, you, you know, we have the love magazines and the zero three Cs and so forth in this age, but more stylistically speaking, yes. And those photographers whose style was defined in that era and as I said, a more relatable style. Do you think that in this age there is a an advent of, of a similar style or well, something that I is mean, just I more relatable did, for this culture? I mean, 90s, you know, everything has, is cyclical, right? So the 90s are really hot right now and people right. are really into it because a whole new generation is one discovering it. They didn't live through it. So it's <laughs> it's really exciting to discover something new. I know that it's very interesting. I mean, I have a great really interesting comments and direct messages. Whenever I post an image that to me is so, like, I know the image so well. I know who shot it. I know when it was shot. I know what magazine it was shot for. And I post it. I get so many messages from clearly very young people who are like, where did that come from? Who shot that? There's this whole new generation that's discovering this entire body of work. And I do think that there is every, what, 20 years, every 15 years, there's Mm -hmm. this new nostalgia for whatever happened 15 years ago. And so I do think, you know, for example, um, my my friend Tyshawn Jones, who's 21 years old, his favorite rapper in the world is Biggie Small. Like he lives and breathes him. It was his birthday yesterday, by the way. It was. about that. And his mother, I, I was overhearing a conversation with him and his mother the other day. She's like, what do you know about? You weren't even alive back then. You didn't even, you never. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I know every song, every lyric. I know where he lived. I know his. And, and so, you know, for somebody like him, it's, he wasn't even, what he was in diapers when, when he died. But there is this nostalgia for it. And, and he doesn't care. 
you know, that he died 25 years ago, 20, 24 years ago. For us, we live it and feel it differently. His mother was like, well, that was, that was what I was listening to. It was live for me. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't really care. So I'm not really answering your question, but to answer your question, if you take an example, like ID Magazine is a great example of a magazine that is 40 years old right now. It's gone through many different iterations and styles and looks, and it really is one of those OG, original, underground magazines. It was really from that era of the face and where youth culture was absolutely exploding. That magazine is still thriving today. But who's the editor-in-chief? And who's, who's shooting for that magazine? It's Alistair McKim, Mario Sorrenti, Mert and Marcus. These are still the elite of the fashion and beauty industry. And they are shooting for a magazine that is now 40 years old that's still perceived as the cutting edge of youth culture. So I notice I'm trying to support my argument of quality not going away. <laughs> but what I appreciate you speaking to is the cyclical nature of trend. You know, we're sometimes so focused on how culture right now has changed things. What's different now in culture? But in many ways, you're saying, Jason, things always come back around. So meanwhile, culture right now has technology and, and more relatable content. And the 90s is also in. So we're picking up 90s style. So all of it sort of just converges there. So I do understand, but I do I appreciate that reflection. Yeah, but at the, the same time, I mean, there are, there are a lot of kids out there who live in this, have lived, have grown up in this digital age, who take pictures with iPhones and old cameras and what have 5Ds and, and what have you, who picked up cameras just because they were readily available and are taking pictures and are taking really great pictures, but they don't have the history. Back in the day, to become a photographer, you assisted a different, a bigger photographer. You went through the system, you went through the assisting and then the learning and the learning of the light and the understanding of the process and the understanding of the technicality of it. You know, um, Henry uh, was wearing a t-shirt the other day. Henry Lutweiler was wearing a t-shirt the other day. I was FaceTiming with him and he said, and his t-shirt said, everyone's a photographer until it comes to the F-stop or something like that. And I was like, that is <laughs> so, so good. good and so true <laughs> and so brilliant because that to a certain degree is very, very, very true. It, it, it is that. But there is a versatility to this new generation of photographers because they don't have all of those strings and all those shackles that were the case in the 80s and the 70s and the 90s. And there are some great young kids out there taking pictures from instinct, from pure instinct. They don't even know, some of them don't even know how good they are. And in the right hands, they can go really far. But what do they aspire to? They still aspire to the mainstream. They still aspire to, I want to be in a magazine. I want to do a magazine cover. I want to do an advertising campaign. I want to do a fashion campaign. They're still aspiring to that. They're not saying, fuck the system. They're saying, well, we kind of got into the system or want to get into the system in a different way, but we still want to be in that system. Nobody is going to refuse a six-page story in any big fashion magazine. I can't imagine any young or mainstream photographer not wanting that. That's still aspirational. My only thought, though, is that the, the framing is different, right? Before, that was the pinnacle. That was the aspiration. Whereas now, it is largely about being paid. So you see this with influencers. You see this with photographers. You see this with models. 
they're willing to do a free post for YSL, but they really need to be paid by Azara, or they're willing to do a really great shoot for self-service where they could be really creative, but they really need those brand campaigns. And like you said about young creatives and young photographers specifically, you know, they're redefining the art form of photography, just like we're redefining beauty and we're redefining luxury. So actually, how relevant is a lot of that history and that need to know, because uh, I'm with you, I'm a purist in that sense. But what I'm finding more so in the commerce landscape, particularly in the digital realm, is that that is becoming uh, less and less important. In fact, business leaders are describing it as being esoteric. So what do you think about that? Um, look, from my perspective, I'm, I love history and I'm a historian and I love understanding context. And I don't approach anything without a concept. You know, um, you know, a friend of mine asked me to design a t-shirt the other day. Uh, he called me and it was very much out of the blue. And he said, you know, I really want you to design something for my collection. And I was like, well, this is kind of outside of my comfort zone. Um, I, you know, I'm not an apparel designer. I'm really a graphic designer and I really don't see things from that perspective. And he's like, no, 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 shut the fuck up. Just go and do it. And so it took me about two weeks to just Think, how am I going to approach this conceptually? You know, looked at his brand, looked at who he is, looked at where he came from, looked at what his history was. I dug deep into an idea before even putting pen to paper. And I don't think a lot of people do that. And the reason I do that is because it's what I was taught to do. And it's the way that I can justify the work. And I don't think that people are trained that way today at all. Not at all. And that's okay too, I guess. Well, Ruba, I, I really appreciate that because I, here I thought we were going to be talking about the disillusion of image quality in many ways. But per what Henrietta said before about your optimism in this arena, is as though there, you're saying that there is literally a lane for everyone. And, and particularly the lane that you have operated in um, over all of these years. You don't no, I don't. At all. Not at all. I don't feel any of that is under threat. I've talked to a lot of people. I was talking to a friend stylist of mine just before we got on this recording. And she was saying, well, we have to rethink how we work and we have to, everything's going to change. And I said, well, I would wait and see, actually. Things change all the time anyway. The way that we approach work today isn't the way we even approached work five years ago. Social media changed everything. But at the same time, we can parallel path so many things. But I also think from my perspective, and again, I can only speak from my perspective and my experience and what I believe in. So I'm, I'm, my truth and my beliefs are certainly not everyone else's, but I also love and thrive on the discovery of that young photographer who picked up a camera, doesn't even realize how talented he is. But what I really like to do, and it kind of fucks with them a little bit, is to take their work and to put it in and to hand it, let's say it's a filmmaker, a young filmmaker. And that's something that I've been working on for the last couple of weeks. Um, young filmmaker, I don't know him very well. He's sort of a friend of a friend of my son's. Seems to be a He's a good filmmaker. I've worked with him a couple of times. He's done BTS on some of our shoots. And that's one of the things that I always try and do. If we're doing a big production with a Mario Sorrenti, for example, all the BTS photographers, all the stuff, the capture, the social capture, all that other stuff that we're being forced to capture, 
I insist that we, we use people not from the industry, not established, and who would never be able to get a leg in or a foot into a studio or a production like that. And I, I do that. that on every single shoot. Kids that. off the skate park, friends of my kids, kids who are obviously competent, but who would never have the opportunity to, to be in, in that environment. So one of these kids I know from that, I've had a couple, I've been through COVID. I wanted to create some content just to, to create, to make something that will sit in my portfolio of visuals for this time, but a little bit of history from my perspective. So I grabbed one of these kids and I was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go shoot this. We're going to shoot this. We're going to go shoot this. I have this idea. We're going to shoot this. And I took his footage and he, and I didn't tell him how to shoot. I didn't tell him what to shoot with. And I handed it to Chad from Consulate, who's one of the best editors, film editors in fashion and beauty in the industry today. He's so high-end. He only works with the best. He only works with... So I took very green work and handed it to a very seasoned master at his craft. And I think bringing those two worlds together is what gives me so much joy. Because the end result, I think, is going to be something really surprising. So that's my high end and low end coming together. And to me, that's the future of creating visuals. I love this. And I think that what you present is actually incredibly optimistic and really inspiring. Because I think it really is also about seeing how different your perspective is based on your experience and where you sit in the industry. Because my vantage point is very is much more dystopian in terms of, you know, working in direct-to-consumer, e-com, digital first. It really is about, you know, not really having the time for that process, that synthesizing of messaging and ideology and just like get it out. Doesn't matter what it looks like. We're in a space with COVID where a lot of the creatives are actually being let go and a lot of non-creatives are making creative decisions on content, what is beautiful, what is is relevant is beauty even relevant and and really moving into the sort of data driven decision making and what do people want not not really what do we want to say so i really love this conversation because it really is just rewiring something that i inherently believe in but have really just become conditioned to understand that a lot of people like the CEOs, the business leaders, the business decision makers are not thinking this way. So it's really interesting how this is so counter to a lot of that. But actually, I do hear what you're saying and see how that ideology is still possible in a post-COVID landscape. I mean, yeah, everything that you're saying is true and correct. Where I work, every person in marketing thinks that they're a creative director and every person in marketing thinks they can do my job. And every person in marketing does try to do my job. And I'm uh, labeled difficult and hard to Same. work with and stuff. <laughs> all, of, all of that stuff. Because I refuse to let them do my job. Because you know what? They're not qualified to do my job. In the same way that I'm not qualified to do theirs, they're not qualified to do mine. And I agree with you. There is this prevalent attitude today that everybody, because everybody has access to, you know, you can see a visual, you can have an opinion on a visual, you can make decisions on a visual, but that doesn't make you qualified to make it. When your own world, if you want to post some rubbish pictures on your Instagram, by all means, please go ahead. Um, 
when when it comes to my world and my expertise and my many many years of hard work and hard and, and experience and and hard learned experience, please fuck off. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> And to bring this conversation to a close, we're going to go back to that original quote. Art is what you can get away with. So are we to believe that, Ruba, you, you do not feel that there's a bunch of photography hats out there who's just producing content and flinging it up in all sorts of places. But in fact, that there are also quality talents out there who've gone through the rigors of creating images and they will always be there as well as those hats who create but, images. Yeah, I, I think Sorry, yes to all of that, but there are way. also, there's a third part to that. There are some great content creators on social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, whatever, whatever it might be, who were born on that platform and who create really beautiful content on that platform and who have honed their skill specifically on that platform. And that's the new world order. That's the third part to this. And those people may only stay, only remain on that platform, or they may not. But there is a new world order in that sense, in that there's visuals being created on iPhones that are just as good as ones being made using a Hasselblad. Well, I think that's a beautiful and welcoming statement to to include more people in. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And I thank you for weighing in on this. This is certainly illuminating for me. Thank you. Well, I'm the ultimate some of my views, so and I, I really come back to me in a couple of years and tell me after I really appreciate that. I definitely am uh, moving out of this kind of performance and KPIs are the only end result. And I'm getting back into the idea of dreaming and ideology and beautiful imagery and what that means in the world. So thank you on a personal level. Thank you so much. You always do this for me when we chat. It's always, you always kind of realign me. It's like having a good back realignment. So I feel good. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you for everything. I mean, this is my first podcast, so I had no idea what to expect. So thank you for making Oh, yeah. Thanks, Ruba. Oh, Thanks you're phenomenal. You. you get such Bye. great information. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Ruba. Uh, it's my time for something.